0: We're in a series called Game Changer, and it's a look at the life of Christ through the eyes of those whose lives He changed. This morning we're going to take a look at another facet of the life of Jesus this morning. This one's just a slightly different approach than the ones we've seen up to this point. Do you know what these three things have in common this morning? One handwritten note, two Indiana boys, and three cigars. Anybody have any idea? They were part of a game-changing moment in American history. On the morning of September the 13th, uh, 1862, the Union Regiment known as the 27th Indiana was camped out in a meadow just outside of Frederick, Maryland, which had just a day or two before that been a Confederate camp. Uh, Sergeant John Bloss and Private Barton W. Mitchell identified as being a part of Company F in the 27th Indiana, which incidentally was formed uh, from recruits who had been assembled right here in Bloomington, Indiana. They found a handwritten note wrapped around three cigars which had accidentally been dropped by the Confederate troops as they had left that area. The paper read, Special Order Number 191, Headquarters, Army of Northern Virginia. It did not take Bloss and Mitchell long to determine they had enemy plans. And so they rushed them up the chain of command. And when the papers finally reached General George McClellan, he is reported to have said, Here is a paper with which, if I cannot whip Bobby Lee, I will be willing to go home. <laughs> He did neither. He did not defeat Robert E. Lee, and he did not willingly go home when President Lincoln dismissed him. This was a game-changing opportunity. He could have perhaps ended the war, but he hesitated. He delayed He moved slowly to take advantage of the information that he had, slowly enough that General Lee was able to maneuver his troops into into position, despite the fact that the Union Army had his game plan. The battle that followed was the Battle of Antietam, the bloodiest single-day battle in American history, with a combined tally of dead, wounded, and missing at nearly 23 thousand. It was a game-changing moment that was squandered. You've heard the old expression, he who hesitates is lost. That is never truer than in the battle of temptation, that battleground which is common ground to all humanity. The rich and the poor, the lofty and the lowly all face off against temptation on a level playing field. But when we hesitate, When we delay, when we move too slowly to resist the temptation, the end result is always devastating, bloody, and costly. What we often forget is that Jesus faced temptation as well. And you say, why did he have to face temptation? Because if he didn't face temptation, if he didn't experience what we experienced, he could not have been qualified then to be our redemption, our Savior, to step into our place. And so he experienced everything that we've experienced in this world. Do you remember what the book of Hebrews tells us? Chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never hesitated. Jesus never gave it a second thought. Jesus took on the battle and won. Now, here's the deal. You know how we are tempted by Satan. But when it came to tempting Jesus, Satan held nothing back in hopes that it would become a game-changing moment for all eternity. Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus had been tempted, and it certainly wouldn't be the last time that He would be tempted. But this, this was an all-out battle for spiritual control, and the spoils of the war were our souls and the souls of all who have lived. This week in our staff devotions, Alan Phillips spoke about Jesus understanding temptation at its deepest, harshest level. What he meant by that is that most of the time we give in to temptation sort of up here. Jesus experienced the harshest of it, took him to the very depths. Let me put it another way. Think of temptation as a vice. Every time we resist, Satan gives the vice handle another turn, cranking it down harder. As the pressure builds, we often buckle and submit or yield to the temptation. Usually for me, it's about one and a half turns. That's all it takes. But with Jesus, Satan pulled out all the stops and cranked the vice down as hard as he could, but Jesus never buckled. Let let us take a look at the story from the Gospel of Matthew, who gives us the most detail on this moment in the life of Christ. Beginning in Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. The opening word, then, refers to what had immediately happened before this incident. And what immediately took place before this was Jesus' baptism. He went on from there to this 40-day fast. Now, I'm sure most of you can tell by looking that, that, that I don't fast very often, all right? I don't miss many meals, and I suspect most of us in this room don't. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, uh, but I, very few people I have ever met have done a 40-day fast. Jesus wasn't the first. Moses fasted 40 days. Elijah had fasted 40 days. And there are those in our day and time who do a 40-day fast, but I, can I tell you, it's not something to experiment with. This, this is for something seriously spiritual, and it is something that should only be done, I think, under a doctor's observation and control. And, and remember this, when a person fasts, it doesn't mean they stop drinking water or taking in fluids. You, you couldn't survive that long without something. It's a very serious thing to undertake. I also think we overlook another significant factor in this event. This really ties Jesus in symbolically and uniquely to the Hebrew nation who experienced something similar many, many years before. When Moses went into Egypt and and secured the release of the Hebrew slaves, they came up out of Egypt in this marvelous victorious moment. They crossed the Red Sea. And by the way, the Apostle Paul says that in the Red Sea they were baptized into Moses. And so following this baptism in the Red Sea into Moses, they went into a desert for 40 years where they were tested in every way. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and, it, and goes from that highlight moment into the desert for 40 days, tying very much in with this period of Israelite history. What's more, Jesus is the new Moses, the liberator of his people from their sins, the Messiah who had been promised by Elijah and all the rest of the prophets. And the Gospel of Mark points out that Jesus was out there with the wild animals. In other words, there wasn't another soul, another human being out there. He was alone in the wilderness. And at the end of 40 days, when he's hungry, when he is at his weakest, that's when Satan sees the opportunity and began to tempt him. You see, he is the prince of darkness. He is fighting on his turf when he fights in this world. And his best fights took place in the desert. The name Satan means adversary. The term devil means accuser. And this is what he had to say. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now before we take a look at all those three separately, I I want you to see some things that uh, 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 these temptations have in common this morning. Each one of them contains the word if. Did you notice that going through? The first two are, are the ifs of doubt. If you really are the Son of God, causing our Tempting to cause Jesus to doubt. And the third one is, is if you'll just bow down for me, I'll give you everything. It, it, it's an if of a hollow promise. Can, can I remind you that Satan will come to every one of us with those same tools? The ifs of doubts. If he can create doubt in your mind and your heart, he has a much better probability of success. And he will come to you with hollow promises. Oh, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Here's something else they have in common. We see here the categories of temptation. T- Jesus, Jesus was tempted in three different areas. They are the same three areas that John points out in his letter to the church. This is what we read in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Here they go. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes... And the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Do you see those three areas? The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. That's the very areas where Satan attacked Jesus. Those are the very areas where Satan will attack us. And even though Satan tempts, we and we alone are accountable for our sins. We cannot blame someone else. There is no fall guy. There is no scapegoat on which we can blame our guilt. We must own it alone. And did you notice that Jesus resists each of these temptations by quoting Scripture? Now, that ought to tell us something right there, folks. If Jesus was able to overcome the temptations by quoting the Word of God, that's a good reason for us to know it and to memorize it so that when those moments of testing and temptation come to us, we have the same tool that Jesus used. If Jesus found this to be his most formidable tool against the power of Satan, I don't think we need to look for anything else. I don't think we need a self-help book on this. We've already got the best battle plan ever. We just don't take advantage of it. We need to study it and read it and memorize it. Now, folks, it's not impossible to sin while you're quoting the Scriptures, but it's a lot harder. It's not impossible to sin while you're praying, but it's a lot harder. If you know the Word, it will help you resist. You see, we are in a battle for our very lives, and God has given us the written orders of the battle plans. Don't drop them. Don't lose track of them. Because if you do, defeat is imminent. Well, here's a couple things I want you to take home with you this morning uh, as, as we look at these moments in the life of Christ. Here's the first thing. The enemy often strikes after a victorious moment in our lives. Jesus had just experienced the highlight moment of his 30-year life. Up to this point in time, this is the moment that launches his earthly ministry. He was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And you'll remember when he came to the Jordan, John resisted. John said, no, no, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, John, you baptize me because it's the right thing to do. I think Jesus was giving us an example of the power and the significance of this act. He says it's the right thing to do. And then something happened as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Do you remember what the Scripture said? It says the heavens were torn apart. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but something, as the, as the gospel writers describe, that the, something happened in the sky, whether it was the clouds parted or it actually looked as if the sky itself was torn, and out of that opening The Holy Spirit descends, and it says, descends like a dove. Luke, in his gospel, says it was a bodily form. So I believe that the Holy Spirit came as a dove descending upon Jesus, visible to all people. Uh, A dove was was representative of purity and and peace. It was also used as a sacrifice at the temple. And then the voice of God speaks, this is my Son, I'm pleased with him. To my knowledge, this is the only time in Scripture in the life of Jesus when, when these three manifestations of God came together in one place, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, happened at His baptism. This is a monumental moment. This is something powerful and awesome. It was a confirmation and ordination of His ministry, and all those who heard and saw were amazed, and then, after this incredible highlight moment, boom, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and faces off in the battle for our souls. He goes from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low, from triumph to temptation. Have you ever noticed how that happens in your life? This is no accident. Learn from the experience of Jesus so that you'll be prepared at the highlight moments of your life. Have you ever noticed that when you've reached a goal or after a special occasion or during one of those life transition moments of your life, maybe you've worked towards something for a long time and it comes to pass and you feel just this letdown. What do I do now? Or, Or you're feeling a little blue. It's in that vulnerable state, that you are most susceptible to the temptations of Satan, and when you are at your weakest, that is when he takes advantage. When that happens, remember these guidelines. When you are vulnerable, don't go it alone. That's part of the reason why God gave us the church so we wouldn't face these temptations by ourselves. It's a lot harder to face off against Satan when you're alone. But when you're a part of the body of Christ, you have others who can come alongside of you. That's why I've been emphasizing life groups. Life groups, life groups, life groups. I'm going to keep emphasizing life groups until we get into life groups. Because when you are in life groups, when you're in a class that meets here, when you're in a mission team, when you're in life groups that meet in homes and they study the Word of God, you are connected with God's people. And when you're connected, you have a better chance to survive. When you are vulnerable, don't go it alone. And when you are vulnerable, don't give in to your feelings. Your feelings, folks, are as fickle as a weather vane in a tornado. Feelings are just all over the place. I mean, one day you can feel great, the next day you can feel lousy, you can be up, you can be down. Do not make important decisions in your life based on your feelings. And don't go to battle against Satan using your feelings. You study God's Word, you do what is right even if you don't feel like it, because feelings won't get you victory. Don't let Satan rob you of the joy of your highlight moments in life by dragging you off to the desert of temptation. Here's the second thing I want you to remember this morning. That is, the enemy often strikes at the most vulnerable areas of our lives. The Hunger Games has been a popular book series that's translated into a blockbuster movie series as well. Now, when I first heard about The Hunger Games, I've got in my mind, oh, games, uh, this is no game. If you read the books or if you've seen the movies, this is battle. I mean, you're either the hunter or you're the hunted, uh, and only one person comes out on top in these, in these games. They're not really games, it's a battleground. And I want you to know this morning, people sometimes play around at temptation, but it is no game. It is a battle for our very soul. Satan always strikes at our hungriest points. And the outcome is always a matter of spiritual life or spiritual death. Now look what he did to Jesus. Here are the three. And the first one is feed your cravings. Remember what John said: the cravings of sinful mind. Feed your cravings was the first temptation. Now, when you read this. And years ago, I used to think, well, this, well this is no big deal here. Uh, Jesus out in the desert alone. He doesn't have anybody else. There's nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to know. And, and, and besides that, what's wrong with turning a stone into bread? He's hungry. It was the right thing to do to feed his body. He had been fasting for 40 days. And Satan says, Jesus, just, you got the power. Just take that stone and turn it into bread. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, what's the big deal with that? He took five small, handy Cracker-sized loaves and two fish, and he fed 5,000 people. We know he can multiply food. What's the big deal here? The big deal is that for Jesus to take a stone and turn it into bread, he would be using his divine power for some kind of a selfish craving. It would be an abuse of his divine power, and it would make those horrific moments that were still ahead much harder to deal with. If he gave in to this little thing, how would he go to battle in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? Even more, if he started using his divine power for such selfish cravings, he would no longer suffer like we do. It would remove him from the human realm altogether. After all, let me see your hands. How many of you can turn a stone into bread this morning? Anybody? I've eaten some bread that tasted like stone, but I've never turned a stone into bread. We we, we can't do that. And if Jesus would have done that for himself, suddenly he's no longer like us. Suddenly he's no longer able to sympathize with us. Suddenly he is no longer able to experience what we experience. Even in this tiny little breach, there were devastating consequences. Had he turned the stone into bread, it would have undermined the whole plan of God, and then everything would have crumbled. Here's the second one. It's that boastful, look-at-me picture. Put on a good show, Jesus. Throw yourself off the top of the temple and the angels will catch you. And then Satan quotes Scripture. Do you, do you see how slick he is? Jesus says the first time, he says, the Bible says, the Word says, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. This time Satan comes back and zings him, he says, because the Bible says, and he quotes Scripture. Oh, You think Satan doesn't know Scripture? He knows it better than we do. And he will use it to his ends. He'll twist and he'll take it out of context and he'll use it here. And then, of course, Jesus quotes Scripture as it should be in this place. But he was tempting Jesus to become a performer, to mislead the people where he was going, to what kind of a Messiah he would be. And again, the whole plan of God would have crumbled if he'd done this. The third temptation, I want it all. Satan shows him everything this world has to offer and then makes this promise that he will provide if Jesus... We'll just worship. By the way, did you notice that Jesus didn't deny that he couldn't provide? When he said that, Jesus didn't say, "Oh, Satan, you can't, you can't offer me that. You see, he is the prince of this world. He, he can make a lot of promises and deliver on some, but he is ever so subtle. When we say, if you'll bow down and worship me, I, I, I got this impression, you know, originally when I was reading through the Scriptures that this many on and on worship. Now, that's not what it is. In the, in the grammatical tense of Scripture here, this is a one time. Just, just once, Jesus. Just once. You don't have to do it again. Just once you bow down and worship me, all of this is yours. Just once. Just once, I'll be unfaithful to my spouse. Just, just once, I will never do it again. Just once, I'll cheat on my taxes. Next year, I'll, I'll do them perfectly. Just, just this one time. Just once, I want to feel a high from these drugs. I, I, I won't get high again. I won't do it again. Just once. Just once, I've got to share this gossip. I, I won't do it anymore. I won't tell any more. Oh, this is too good. Just once. And once you fall, you'll pick up speed. I want it all. I see it all. I want it all. I want it I just once want to have it all. Some of you will remember Lay's potato chips. I used to advertise with this slogan, nobody can eat just one. Do you remember that? It's true. I don't think I've ever eaten one chip in my entire life. You know, you, you can't do that. You eat one, but oh, I got to have another, I got to have another. That's the principle here. Philip Henry wrote, he said, Sins are like circles in the water when a stone is thrown into it. One produces another, and another, and another. I like how Fred Allen puts it. He said, Most of us spend the first six days of the week sowing wild oats, and then we go to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. <laughs> If you let down your guard just once, it's all over. Here's the deal. These are our hunger games, and what you need to remember is that none of us are hungry in the same ways. What tempts you may not tempt me. What gets to me may be easy for you to resist, but the enemy is not dumb. He knows our points of hunger, and the Bible says that he will get to you at your weakest point. And then Jesus finally resists and says, be gone, Satan, and he was, and we, we got to learn how to do the same thing. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the process of that, let me give you a couple warnings, don't ever let down your guard. Just because something hasn't been a temptation for a long time doesn't mean that it can't rear its ugly head doesn't mean that you've mastered it. Cravings that have been dormant in our lives for years can suddenly, without warning, cause problems in our life and become a huge temptation all over again. You cannot ever let down your guard. Did, did you read this story last week? It, it, it's about a man by the name of Arthur Lampett. He had a serious accident in his 1963 Thunderbird, and unbeknownst to him, his 7-inch turn signal broke off and was driven into his arm. Uh, Did you read about that? I mean, I can't imagine. And and, and at the, uh, I guess at the emergency room, they didn't pick up on that because of some of his other injuries. 51 years, just a few weeks ago, after 51 years, his arm gets inflamed, it begins to swell, he's got a lot of pain, he goes to the doctor, and they took out a 7-inch turn signal from a 63 Thunderbird. (laughs) How does that happen? never let down your guard things that you think are dormant and hidden can suddenly surface and cause all kinds of inflammation pain and sorrow don't let down your guard satan is just waiting for you to relax and then don't misdirect your focus most of us aren't brought down by the big and bodacious sins most of us fall into the little temptations, like, just just turn that stone into bread. Nobody will ever know Jesus. I'm the only one that's here. It's not the big and flashy ones, the gross wickedness. It's usually the little ones. Back in the 1940s, great Christian author, C.S. Lewis, defender of the faith, wrote a fanciful little book about… a veteran demon by the name of Uncle Screwtape, who is mentoring a younger demon by the name of Wormwood. And so, Screwtape writes this series of letters to teach Wormwood how to attack and tempt other people as demons should do that. And, and there's a, there's a the great exchange in these letters. I, I just want to quote from one of the letters. Uh, Uncle Screwtape is writing, and this is what he says… You will say that these are very small sins, Wormwood, and doubtless like young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. And when Screwtape talks about the enemy, he's talking about God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than something small if something small can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Subtlety is Satan's greatest tool. Never let down your guard. Never misdirect your focus. Hunger after His Word. Study and memorize it. Hunger after God's family, the church. Stay close to other believers because when you're close to them, you'll be closer to the Lord. Hunger for the very presence of Christ in your life because it's a lonely, desperate journey through this broken world without Him. The enemy has a battle plan. And the only way to victory is through the one who died to break the power of sin and death. Folks, every temptation we face is a game-changing moment, one way or the other. Choose carefully how you respond. Victory or defeat hangs in the balance of your choice. Do you know the only one, the only one who can give you victory over satan himself whether you come while we sing or whether you come after the service is over or whether you come this week to give your life to jesus christ just don't battle alone give yourself to him